time, but at least makes a nice day off work for a lot of you, I hope. Well, welcome to the firehouse. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and if you're keeping track at home, I haven't taught in a while. We had a baby in May, Phoebe, which is wonderful. So we're loving being parents. We spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital there, and had a turbulent first few weeks, but we're doing well now and at home. Now I'm navigating back at work and we're kind of figuring out normal life as we go, so that's good. But we're doing well and happy to be with you guys this morning. If you're also keeping track at home, we're finally finishing up a series on the book of James. Not finally, but it's our fifth and last week, so that's good. We don't know, kind of a surprise, what we're doing next week. We'll talk about it and figure it out. Stick rich with it or something, I don't know, but no, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll probably start a new series soon, but we're in the midst of that. So if you want to open up your Bible, there should be one in front of you or under your seat. You turn to page 1198 or on James 5. Finish that. So when I think of James, we taught on this earlier, but there's one major verse that comes to mind as kind of a theme of the book. In chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And it reminds me that Christian life is not just in our studies, it's not just in meetings, it's not just talking the talk, but we've got to back it up by walking the walk and do what we're talking about. I think earlier in the series, we used the phrase, just do it to describe this book of in the Christian life we need to just do it just have our actions you know, there was strong encouragement earlier to back up our lives with good works um, to have speech and have a humility towards God and the first section of James 5 here talks about our money so I was trying to think of a good slogan since we already ascertained that Nike stole that one from the Bible now we need to think about one for this one I thought a good slogan for this section is to put your money where your mouth is as it talks about our money and it's another good chapter on um, just backing up uh, what we're talking about with our checkbook so let's pray and then we'll get into the, the word here God we do thank you for this morning we thank you for the fourth this week God we're thankful for this country and we're just thankful for your blessing it is to live here and the blessing you've had on this country. We just pray you continue to bless this nation and just bless it. Help us as a nation follow you and obey you. And we pray you'd even turn in some ways it's straight. God, we pray you'd turn this nation towards you and have it be a nation that's just sensitive towards you. And uh, as we look at the word today, God, we pray you just speak to us from James. God, on our money, on just persevering in the Christian life, there's some good themes here. I pray you just drive home something each of us can uh, just obey in and walk in this week. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and read the first six verses here. So if we're in James 5 by now. It says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. 
You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Okay, well that's the first six verses and that's a strong section of this letter. James addresses some of the common sins that rich people can fall into. And as I read through this, I was challenged. And as I consider our country, we're one of the richest countries in the history of the world. And even with the recession of the last few years, I think we still have at our resources some of the most money that people have ever had to deal with. And the Bible never really comes out and says that having money is a sin or being rich is a sin. But this letter is very strong that with a great responsibility of being rich, um, or with that great responsibility, we have an opportunity for great good or great evil and sin with what we do with our money. I want to go through this section and just pick out a couple verses that highlight a few things we can fall into that I think certainly could apply to us. If we look again, verse 2 says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. This verse, I think, speaks to our possessions. You know, if we think of biblical times there, most of their possessions and wealth would have been in clothing and grain and oils. If you look at all those things, uh, they'll rot over time. None of them are, you would consider, imperishable. They all kind of had an expiration date on them. Oil and grain would rot if it was stored up and you had too much. And even clothing, if you had too much to wear and you stored it up in boxes or, or somewhere, moths would get into it and ruin the clothing over time if it wasn't in regular use. If you look on to the next verse, it talks about one more thing. It says, your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So this verse speaks to hoarding a lot of money. There's wisdom in saving money and not spending every penny of the money of the money that we have. But if we neglect good we should be doing with our money, then we can fall into that land of hoarding that this verse talks about. It says that our money will corrode and testify against us. It's challenging, but I think the key to this is that with our money, we need to have not just a richness in money, but a richness towards God and a richness towards the poor with our money. We'll jump to another verse in what Jesus spoke on this. I think it adds some clarity. I'll just read a few verses to you from Luke 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Jesus says this, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told this to them in a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store up my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it goes with anyone who has stored up things for himself but is not rich towards God. I think this verse adds a lot of clarity to James. The sin is not about storing up things and saving necessarily. It is about being poor towards God and ignoring the needs of those around us with our money. So that lends the question, how can we be rich towards God then with our money? 
to put a positive spin on a pretty challenging passage there. So with our money, the first thing we're told to be rich towards God is to tithe to our local church, um, just to give a tenth of what we earn back to God, to Him in thankfulness. And we can be rich um, to people laboring for God too. If there's good missionaries and uh, ministries on top of that, that's a good thing to give to. I think there's a section there on being rich towards God. And then there's a few things the Bible speaks of on being rich towards others and giving of our money. And we need to provide for our families, it talks about. We can give to help believers in the church and also give to help the poor and needy among us or in other parts of the world. When I was reading this section to, to prepare for this week, I was pretty challenged. That's a, like I said, that's a tough section. One commentary I read said churches rarely even teach on this because it's kind of uncomfortable and you don't want to deal with how we might apply it today. But it's right there and it hits us in the face that God has a high calling of what we're going to do with our finances. So when I was reading this, I was thinking that a while back, a few months ago, we got a letter from a missionary friend of ours that said that a few of their supporters had backed out and they were in need of money and they didn't really have enough to continue doing what they were wanting to do with their ministry. And so Sarah and I had talked about it at some point and said we were going to give money. And one way or another, that letter kind of ended up to the bottom of a pile and under a stack of papers and it was, it was now months later and we'd done nothing about it. And as I mentioned, we had, I was particularly convicted because we had a baby seven weeks ago. And as many of you parents know, the amount of things you need for a baby this size is incredible. You think if the baby's this big, maybe you just like wrap it up and you're good to go. But the amount of things that have come into our house through uh, baby showers or just buying it as we, as we needed it has been kind of incredible, I think. So we're thankful. A lot of you have given us gifts and we're thankful in that, but... I also never realized how many things you'd need. But I was convicted thinking through all that stuff, thinking we have now have multiple places for her to sleep and clothing for her to wear. You know, you kind of wonder, are you going to get through all the clothing before she hits that three-month size? Now we're talking about that. We have toys and various ways to transport her on, on wheels and in the car. Um, there are a lot of things we needed, but I was reminded in the midst of that, that while we, we had all that and we hadn't forgotten to get those things, that I had forgotten this letter from the missionary It's not sitting in the bottom of a pile three months later. So I got up from working on a teaching and was like, I think God has something for me to follow through on that and, you know, in, in what God's blessed us with also to give, you know, out of our, our finances to, to work that he wanted to do there. So I think when I think of that, one day we're all going to have to give an account for how we use the money that God's given us. And verse 5 contains a strong warning about what we might hear if we do not honor God with our money. It says, You have lived life on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. I don't think any of us want to hear that from the Lord on, at the end of our lives. You know, I can read this section and on some days I can want to sell every possession I have and, and not deal with money or you know, go live on the land or something and, and avoid the sin there, but I, I think that's an extreme and there may be a middle ground. But we can be certain that each one of us is going to give an account for how we spend our money. So we need to be convinced in how we're spending our money that we're seeking God's will for how to spend and that we're being generous with what He's given us. We know that today we have great opportunities to be faithful with our money, to be rich both towards God and towards others.
Okay, that's six verses in. Let's grab the Bible. We're going to truck through reading the rest of the chapter here. So starting in verse 7, it says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard about Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, but your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the errors of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. So the big theme I see from this section is patience. And patience infers two things. One is that it takes endurance through hard times of pain or difficulty. And the second is having uh, just being constant over a long period of time and waiting for something. Okay, I have a slide up here. Does anybody know what this plant is? Jalapeno. Jalapeno, that's right. I like jalapenos. So we did our first vegetable garden last year. And there wasn't too many things I was interested in. We planted a lot. Sarah did a lot of the planting and work. But I I like hot peppers, so I was interested in the jalapenos. And so we planted a bunch. We had tomatoes and green beans and lettuce and bell peppers and uh, squash. A bunch of stuff planted. And in the spring, you put it all in. And everything kind of looks the same. It's all kind of growing up. We had some seeds. We had some, some little plants we planted and had the whole garden going. And it looked like everything was good right at the start. But something happened along the way there. A lot of the plants started giving us fruit right away and started enjoying it. You started getting zucchini and beans and, and your lettuce and spinach and stuff. And, and even the tomatoes started coming in. And we had so many tomatoes. And I don't know what we were thinking, but I planted like five tomato plants and then realized that Sarah doesn't like tomatoes. So there was, there was like one day I pulled in 51 tomatoes and it was like up to me to eat them. So I don't know what I was thinking. But... The plant I was excited about was the jalapenos, and as the summer went on, they got way behind. As everything else was coming in, they weren't doing much. Um, I thought I'd maybe made a mistake in planting them because everything else was doing well. I didn't know much. It was my first time. Maybe I was supposed to grow them in Arizona or Florida or something. I don't know. But I started to get worried. 
But in the middle of the fall, something happened. As, as it cooled off and it started raining more in the fall, these things started picking up. And the jalapeno plants started to go crazy. And all at once, there started to be a whole bunch of fruit. And then it was a race against time. Because the first time it frosts and freezes, they all die. And they all fall off. And the plant's done. So we were trying to pick as many off as I could by the end. And so it did die when that first frost hit. And that's not uncommon. And we have the same thing going with our peppers this year. It's a little behind everything else. But it takes that rain and the cool to fall to get the produce in gear. So this year I'll be a little more patient and know I've gone crazy with the hot peppers, but I know that they're going to take a little longer to come in. Verse 7 has a similar theme to this. If we look back in the scripture, it says that the farmer is patient for spring and the autumn rains to help yield his valuable crops. Verse 8 says that you too should be patient and stand firm until the coming of the Lord. Most people are excited at the start of the Christian life. It's like the spring rains. Things often improve in a hurry. We get hungry to read God's word and keep growing right out of the gate. And there's a ton of spiritual growth in a short period of time. But like the plants, there can be a spiritual heat of the summer. And we can have challenges in a bunch of areas, like our school or work or family or with money. And it can be like that time of of the plant kind of withering and not seeing fruit. But the question is, how do we respond when these challenging times come? Jeff talked about this some in, in James chapter 1 when he taught a few weeks back. And it talked about some ways that we can sin in times of challenge, like doubting or giving in to our temptations. There's two things we're going to pull out of James 5 here that it talks about um, that we can do when we face challenges. The first one is grumbling. Verse 9 says, Don't grumble against each other's brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So one of the temptations we hit when we face hard times is to grumble against one another. It becomes so easy to compare and to grumble about other people's circumstances when we face challenges. You know, personally, I remember last year when we were doing the building project. Not all of you were around, so I'll elaborate a little. When we came in this building, some of you thought it was just dirty and full of junk and uh, a long way from completion. And to be able to afford to get in the building because it took so much work, we took on as the firehouse doing as much of the labor as we could with volunteer labor uh, to cut down the cost of what the contractor was doing. So we, we split up teams in different areas like painting and insulation and bathrooms and kitchen and flooring. And so for the project, a lot of people around here were putting in a lot of work. A lot of it was in nights and weekends because outside of Rich, everyone else worked and we had stuff to do and we came in here and... I mean, outside of here, Rich works, let me tell you. We'll discuss that at our pastor's meeting. I might anyway, but at the same time as that was going on, and I worked for the state, and my work was going totally crazy. We had this extreme deadline. I'm a senior Java programmer, and we were having to put in like 60 hours a week of work, and I was still getting in trouble for not working enough, even working 60 hours, because I wasn't working Sunday morning, and, um, and I was getting in trouble for that. And it was a tough stretch for me. You know, it felt like there just weren't enough hours in the day to get everything done I needed to. And the temptation of my flesh was just to start comparing and grumbling 
as I compared my life with everyone else's. And I was upset at work because it was tough. And, you know, some people can put in 60 hours a week and it didn't impact them that much because they didn't have that many outside commitments. And then I'd go to the church project and I'd compare and maybe think, that team has it easier than my team or I have to put in more work than that person. Or My flesh just had so many things going on. Um, and somewhere along the way, God had to correct me that I had bad attitudes just all over the board in there. And God and my wife had a few thoughts of me when I had some bad attitudes and complaining too. But, you know, in reality, other people on the church project were probably putting in more hours than I did and more work than I did. And many people at work probably had more outside commitments than I did. The problem was just I had a bad, crusty heart and I wanted to complain and grumble about it. And God just started correcting me that the problem wasn't my circumstances, it was my attitude and my heart. So I had a lot of changing to do just in having a good attitude and just trusting God for grace through a challenging period of time. And it it didn't get better that the hours eased up until months later because both were just kind of busy. But God just gave a lot of grace to, to start developing a better attitude through that time. And this can be a temptation for all of us. We can't grumble or complain against one another when we face challenges. God has placed challenges in each one of our lives, but He also gives us the grace to overcome them. But we can't compare or grumble if other people's lives look a little different. So there's one more thing we'll cover out of James here, uh, just to watch out for when we face hard times. It is the temptation to stop praying. And we need to keep fervent in our prayer in all circumstances. For all of us, we have times we seem to pray and times we seem to not. It can vary by the person. Sometimes we want to pray, oh, everything's going right, and it's sunny outside, and the birds are chirping, and you're skipping down the road, and everything's good. And, you know, once things get busy or hectic, we can stop praying. Or it can be the opposite, and maybe we pray when, maybe we don't pray when things are going well, because we kind of got it figured out. But when it's an emergency, then we start praying, and we gotta, we gotta get God in immediately, because things are so hard. But one word I was thinking about on the definition of patience that really applies to our prayer is being constant. Now that's the definition of being patient is, is constant through what's going on and in waiting. And God wants us to apply that to our prayer. You know, this talks about in, in James there, that no matter what the circumstance that we are in, God wants us to be in prayer and even persevere in our prayer. So our patience and perseverance can be often tested with prayers as well. Have you ever been praying for something for a long time and it hasn't been answered? It tends to be that same pattern as the peppers we talked about. We can start out fervent in our prayers praying for something, and as time goes on we get lazy, we get fatigued, and we just kind of drop it. We might start to doubt that God wants to answer our prayers or that God is listening, so we stop praying. So I encourage you to think if there's anything that you have been lazy in praying about. Whether you've given up to God, given up on God because circumstances don't look good, or you've been praying a long time and things maybe haven't changed the way you hoped they would, I encourage you to pick back up and be patient in your prayers this week. There's two examples in James of just men in the Bible that he gives that persevered through things that I think are a good encouragement to us. One it talks about is Job and the other is Elijah. Both faced incredible challenges in their lives. If you know their stories, Job was severely tested and had every worldly thing taken from him. All of his money, his family was taken away from him, his cattle, even his health was tested and he had boils all over himself and people would just kind of flee from him. 
The other one uh, is Elijah. If you know about his story, the whole nation of Israel turned away from God and he was a prophet and they were all following a false god named Baal. And at one point, he, he kind of had this showdown with a, a whole bunch of prophets of Baal versus him and just showing that the God was real and that he wanted Israel to turn back. Both these guys faced incredible challenges and God brought them through. And, and there's a couple promises related to there that it says that we can trust in the same way God will give his grace to us. It talks about near the end of James there. But they're great examples of praying through challenges and even over a long period of time through the things going on in their life. And both saw God come through for them in the end. And we need that same spirit of prayer in our lives. Just like last year I had a challenge over a period of time, I had to learn about, boy, it didn't get better in a day, it didn't get better in a week, it took months, and even work took lots of months to clear up and be a better situation. But God was faithful in coming through, and we need to have just a spirit of perseverance. I was encouraged just to keep, keep on in prayer for a number of things in my life, to keep praying just for the future of our church, to pray for decisions on bringing on a pastor, to pray about um, just the gospel going out, just to keep on in prayer for things. You know, A lot of things God wants to do in our lives don't immediately happen. And God wants us to persevere and be patient in our prayers until He acts. And there are some promises at the end that um, the day of the Lord is coming is certain. And we know He's coming back. We know He's going to uh, just clean up things in the end. And He's going to just come back in victory. And we're going to share in that as believers. So I encourage you to keep on going and keep on praying this week as we look to the Lord and, and His return there. So let's pray. God, we do thank You for this morning. We just thank You for this encouragement from James. God, I pray You would help us with our money, just learn to be generous with it. Learn, God, you gave us every penny we have. God, help us learn how to honor you with it. Be rich towards you, rich towards other people. And God, we do pray, um, God, you'd help us be patient until you're coming. God, the Christian life at times can seem easy, at times can seem hard, but we know you want us to walk with you until the end of our lives. Help us each uh, just remain with you, be patient in our prayers, and continue to pray. Continue to seek you for things, continue to trust you, um, and just run this race till the end together. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Alrighty, well, thanks for coming this morning. We will be back together next week for a, a good teaching, I'm sure, but we're not sure what yet. And remember the uh, women's book study on Wednesday night. Thanks.